Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. So happy to see you. Today, we're going to talk about your board impact on innovation success. I'm so happy to see you here in the Invincible Innovation Live show. I'm Adima Zorkaria, innovation and value creation expert, and I'll be your host. And today with me, I have Jimmy Christiansen. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? Hi, Adi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So happy to see you here. Jimmy is an associate professor at AAU Business School from Denmark. So happy to see you here. Likewise. So, you know, we had a, a talk before and we talked about what would be interesting and the way you see innovation is so different from mo- most people that I talk to and it's like, it's going to be surely interesting. And we're live on LinkedIn, YouTube and Facebook and I, I like to invite you all to join the discussion and ask questions. We'll really be happy to, to, answer them, to answer them all. Okay, now we can start. Innovation is important. Would you argue that innovation is more important right now than ever? Well, of course, this is pouring water onto my own mill to say that it's more important now than ever. But, but think about it this way, that currently we are in a situation where we have a, you could say a global crisis, pandemic crisis. Similarly, what we're seeing also is that increasingly more and more companies are being pressured on their margins. And we see industries increasingly renew themselves. So that means that the industry clock cycles are becoming shorter and shorter. So that every time an industry flips into a new area, it's becoming increasingly shorter. And of course, what makes that happen? Innovation does, new entrants does. And if large companies want to counter this development, it means, of course, we have to be better at systematically managing innovation. So yes, I would say innovation is becoming increasingly more important. And that's simply because the way that industries move and the way new startups, they come into the picture. Yeah, and, and I think that you could say that right now, because everything is changing, there are so many open opportunities and possibilities for, for just to address the new needs that you have for your clients and, and new capabilities that you could offer them. So from the other side, it's, it's, it could help you in, in your business and to maintain your profits, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So why is it so difficult for corporates to manage both incremental and strategic innovation? So if you think about it in, in the sense that incremental innovation, a lot of corporates, they are they basically excel at it. So many of them, they have established systems. They know exactly what they're doing when they manage incremental innovation. It doesn't mean that it doesn't include risk, but it means that they have you know, risk management systems to handle that. They know how to optimize portfolios. They would probably have a gated process to manage it systematically. Now, if you go into more strategic areas, you are mimicking what happens in the startup world. So you are mimicking scenarios where you have to manage increasingly um, um, you know, the domain of uncertainty. Um, you don't really know how your um, investments are going to land, just, ex- just like a startup. Yeah. And that's, that's very, very difficult for some corporates to handle because of some of the things we're going to talk about today, the governance structure, the ownership structure, because there are some short-term rewards that many companies have to meet. And I would say those are some of the structural issues. And the other thing is, you know, the mindset that you apply. So if you you apply an operational excellence mindset, 
typically super good for incremental innovation and established systems, and you want to apply a more entrepreneurial mindset, you get some frictions in your brain when you try to do that at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so companies excelling at both, that's something that we see that um, they are really, really working hard to do. And it's not something that's easy to do because it's two different mental models that you are applying if you want to be really good at both. Yeah, it's one is like, I want to do what I do right now the best way I can do it. And the other one is, what what else can I do? Maybe it's totally different than what I'm doing right now. And it really demands you to be here and in the future at the same time, especially for CEO, I guess, and, and people who are in the CE level. They have to think about two very different uh, way of thinking, I guess. So so yes. like like what 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 would make a CEO think about these two directions in the same time and maybe even the same importance and level of, mm -hmm. of, of their time and efforts even? I think a good example um, that we can follow is, is someone, someone that I really uh, admire, someone like Elon Musk. Uh, let's look at a, a character like that that's built up you know, several startups and made a billion dollar exit several times. Now within you know the Tesla Corporation and, and others, but let's take Tesla as an example. In the beginning, um, it was all about you know building the perfect, uh, building the best product, and then making that product more affordable, then making it even more affordable, so on and so forth. That was basically the master plan by Elon Musk back then. Now we have the Model Three coming out, and maybe let's see there will be an even more affordable car. In that process, since that was the plan. Um, that was purely about being an entrepreneur and growing something to, to a crazy extent. And now you see in the recent years, just the recent couple of years, there is economies of scale. You have to be very focused on cost. Uh, I think there was a quote not so long ago saying that, you know, our shareholders have these and these expectations and it will be like, I don't know if I'm paraphrasing incorrectly, but it would be something like a creme brulee under a sledgehammer or something. That is what will happen to our company when the shareholders punish us. So you see, that is the, the operational excellence mindset being very wary of investor relations, whereas the other mindset to apply to scale something and make a big, big vision is a different one. So now you're seeing also within that person that there are conflicting interests that a manager has to balance. And, and that is when you come into the mature corporate world, then you have to struggle and balance with both. Yeah. We have a question from Andres. Let's see it together. Mm -hmm. uh, does anyone of you guys have experience using Lean Startup in your work in innovation? So uh, I, I, I do, but I would love to hear if Jimmy has anything to say about Lean Startup. Thanks, Andres. Thank you very much, Anas. Um, yes, uh, we do. So I'll say, you know, within the, let's say the notions from Lean Startup uh, in terms of, you know, building a prototype or prototype and making sure that you do efficient sprints that are, that are short. Right. That's definitely something I've worked with um, in my, uh, you can say, in my career at our innovation group, because that's you know, basically the essence of doing learning loops and working with the learning plan methodology. So, so definitely, and that's something that I would say, if you want to venture in the, in the world of more corporate entrepreneurship and strategic innovation, that a methodology like that and similar methodologies are super powerful. 
because it kind of adapts a different mindset saying that I don't make a big plan for five years ahead. I look forward and I do small learning sprints and then, you know, control my resources to the best of my ability in case it fails. Well, then I can always pivot and go into a different direction. So the notion of lean startup and similar methodologies is something I like very much for, for working particularly with the strategic innovation. So excellent question, Alice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your question. I could just add that uh, this is what I'm doing more or less because I come from startups and tech and this is how I help uh, companies do innovation. But for me, it's like doing small bets instead of like, we know that if we'll take like a few millions, place it in a, in a factory, we know it will work because we tried it in the past. When we don't know and uh, things are uncertain, we need to do these small cycles and tests and even uh, create a portfolio with many uh, projects and, and, and products and services just to test them out. And from these small cycles, we learn so much and, and it's so uh, in, invaluable for, for companies right now. So thank you for your question. So why governance is so important for innovation? Uh, this is something that was new to me when we talked, so I think it's, it's really important to think about it. Yeah, so if you think about the ownership structure of, of companies and, and how things are put together, it's typically in the sense that the, you know, the ultimate uh, stakeholders that you have to be care, uh, careful about are the shareholders or the stakeholders. And the shareholders, can say, they are the, can say, the ultimate voice of many, you can say, publicly owned companies where the majority stakes are out there, so to say, in the, in the shareholders market. Then you have a board of uh, directors who basically answer to the, the shareholders and are the shareholders' voice. And under that, then you have the C-suite, you have the CEO who ultimately carries the responsibility of the progression of the company, and then you have the C-suite, and then you have everything in, in below. Think about that. Why, what is it that shareholders want? Shareholders, they typically want that you pay out dividends for them, or they want to see their stock increase. That's typically the for-profit mantra for, for many shareholders. Those are the two things you're looking into if you own shares. That also is reflected in the CEO uh, incentive packages. Typically, CEOs and many large corporates, they have a fixed pay plus an incentive pay. The incentive pay varies a little bit, could be related to earnings per share or sim similar. So you would mimic something that is internal to the company, but also how the, share how the, the stock market is reacting. And, and that's a very sound way of doing it because we know from research that the stock market and the intrinsic value of companies, so a company's ability to make money in the future, to generate cash flows, harmonizes over time. Of course, it means that there are crashes, there are bubbles, there are you know, essences where something, some things are really overvalued, uh, some stocks can be undervalued, but, but generally speaking, over time, those two things follow. So the intrinsic value of a company and the, 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 the stock market price of a share over time uh, aligns. Okay, so if we follow that in mind, that you have an incentive package in the C-suite that aligns with the shareholder, uh, you can say incentives, is a good thing to do, but at the same time, it means that you have a structure and a governance that secures and wants to secure profit and positive cash flow. It also means that when many large companies, they um, measure the value of new innovation projects and others, they want to do either an NPV, an ECV, or risk-adjusted NPV. That means they're trying to calculate the cash flows 
that this is going to give the company in the future and discount it for today so you can pick the best project. This logic is completely sound in the sense that it's in full alignment with the incentive package of the CEO and it's also in alignment with the shareholders that they want to either say, get dividends paid out you know, from the, from the year's result or they want to see the stock price go up. And we know that the stock price is related to the intrinsic value, right? right. So you see here that this is a system that has been orchestrated over years of how do you run, you can say, a for-profit business that is profit-oriented. It's so nicely put together. The, the challenge here, I would say, Adi, is that you see every stakeholder in powerful positions of companies have the same incentive in mind, and it's the same incentive that is given to anyone in the company, that is, we need to be a profitable company. Now, yeah. governance, if you want to govern for also strategic innovation, and let's say you, you come up and say, well, we have to invest in some new fundamental science that could take five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years to materialize. Well, in the meantime, what are your shareholders uh, going to say? Why aren't they yeah. seeing the profits that they were supposed right. to see? Right. And I think so governing to control these two information streams is extremely important. Now, whether that's a, a dual government governance system that a CEO has to manage, or you can somehow integrate it, there's a lot of debates as to which type of company can handle which type of mode. But, but you see, the governance is actually what triggers the behavior of many for-profit large companies. Because if you had a CEO coming in and saying, now we're not going to be so focused on profits anymore. Uh, well, we are, but just, just have a little patience, you know, five years or so into the future. At the same time, we know that the average tenure for CEO in large enterprises is five years. So that wow. means the time when it will take for you to truly implement something very transformational and see the result of what you're doing, maybe you're not sitting on your chair anymore. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's how it looks like today. So the entire governance system and the cycle of CEOs, that just makes it so darn difficult to, to focus on strategic innovation. This is my point of view, because then yeah. we can run Lean Startup and all the other methodologies, but there's some simply some structural things that we have to talk about. Yeah, you know that after we talked, we thought I thought about it. Then I heard a, um, a, an interview with someone. He talked about Blockbuster. Everybody's giving this example: Blockbuster, Netflix, and he gave the the, the details exactly what happened from two thousand and two to two thousand and ten when they closed. And he asked people before, what do you think they should do? And everybody said they, sh they should compete with the cloud. They could take the, all, the, all the content and they put it in the cloud. They could be uh, more flexible with the way they handle it. And, like, they had uh, great ideas. And then he, he showed them that they've done everything. And what happened that the stock, mar uh, stock price went down and then somebody purchased lots, lots of stocks and he was the main shareholder. And after a few years, he got upset and he came to the manager, to the CEO, and he, tell, he told him, you know, for so long, we don't see profit as I want it to be. So you're not getting your bonus. And then he left. <laughs> and then another CEO came and in three years, they closed. So all he just took all the efforts for do, doing innovation, doing things differently. And he just put them aside, the new CEO. And then they they 
you know, they lost the the, compet- the competition with Netflix, actually. So it's exactly what you're saying. And, you know, it's it's example that everybody's giving. And for me, it was so surprised, surprising to hear because everybody's saying, yeah, you know, they did not innovate. They didn't do it well. That's why Netflix won. But actually, no, they, they did everything that everybody suggested. But it took time and lots of money. They, I think they, they uh, made about $400 million dollars in, in, in putting into this change and it took time. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the real story, which is exactly what you're saying. Do you know this story? I don't know this particular background story. I've always known the, the, the blockbuster as a disruptive case. Uh, so so th- these are some, some very interesting details to me about the, the ownership and what actually happened on the stock market with Blockbuster. No, I wasn't aware. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it's intriguing that you're mentioning it now and, and that it mimics because it shows that previously you have some companies who've tried. Then you can say if the, if the stock tanks, then that's a hostile takeover. It was an internal one. But still, then, you, you know, if you have a majority vote, then you can actually turn the tides of what's going on in the company if you're not satisfied with it with the direction yeah. yeah another thing that everybody wants to be so smart and say yeah you didn't think about it the the management was not good enough the ceo was not good enough but actually he was very successful ceo before he was in blockbuster even afterwards so it's not that he didn't do what what need, needs to be done but it was not uh, he was not maybe too successful with the shareholders and stakeholders in that case but not more than that So it's really interesting to think about it. So how is is managing board impacting uh, innovation and and what about uh, other stakeholders other than that they expect to have profit? How do the the way they are built impacting the the company? Yeah, so of course, you know, the managing boards, typically, you know, their role is to secure the future of the company and that the company is prosperous. Now, in translated terms, of course, it means that you have to ensure a profitable company that's also renewing itself. Sometimes, you know, it's it's also with additional focus on the sustainable uh, development goals or other. But in generally, to ensure the longevity of a healthy company over time, that's something that the board of directors, they have to oversee. And that's why they appoint a CEO. Now, it depends a little bit, I would say, let's look at the, the shareholder voice. Like the shareholder voice, what I said, typically, classically, it's about getting dividends or it's about seeing your stock price increase over time. That makes a lot of sense. That's translated over to profits and the the, the, the company's ability to turn positive cash flows. So that also means that, that oftentimes you would have profiles in a board that you will have definitely some strong financial profiles and that typically would also be coupled with some stronger uh, technical profiles to make sure that there's a healthy portfolio and we are you know we are investing in the right technology so on and so forth what i think we have to be very uh, pay a lot of attention to is to is that a board on behalf of the shareholders that accepts longer time horizons if we can see we have the cash that it takes to be less profitable for a year or two if we have a bigger plan with that is that a board that's willing to tolerate that do we have the um the visionary people in the board that can see a little bit beyond the profits of the next quarter and the delivery is it some people who have the character and also maybe the power 
uh, in the industry that says even though something is going against them that they're not caving because of course if you have a very visionary board that wants to focus long term it means SETA is Paibus that short term you will see profits probably dipping a little bit because you're investing in your top line right so you also need board members who are, who are able to push back and argue to the shareholders why are we doing this and why will this give you more value in the future if you only have a little patience mm. I, think, um, I had a yeah. discussion with some some senior um, senior executives a couple of weeks back that one of them he put it very very nicely he said remember whatever caused the success today is a is a strategic innovation that we had 20 years ago and we're just you know operating uh, operating efficiently on that particular uh, innovation 20 years ago yeah. so if companies are continuously tightening the budgets how will they make room for making the next uh, strategic or transformational innovation that will help them renew and secure their in, uh, position in the industry yeah. some companies they seem to forget that some companies they seem to remember that wow it was really what we did 20 years ago that is that is the reason for where the company is today. So I would say visionary people in the board that have you know, power to argue and push back to shareholders. And then, of course, there's the ownership structure of the shareholders yeah. vary from company to company. And these like board members, most of them had done lots of business and money from the current way of, of like maybe from the same industry, maybe from the same domain. They, they know what's going right now in the business. But not all of them know the what's how fast it's changing and what could it be in the, in the future. So what you're saying about visionaries maybe not only um, how old they are, what's their experience, it's the way they see business. Not only right now we're making more money in two quarters we'll make much more money and so forth. It's like it's like planting a tree that will give you fruits in, in 10, 15 years from now. And, and it's hard, I think, to, to have these people uh, in general. So most people are, are, you know, are excelling in what they know right now. And, and they're making lots of, lots of money right now from it. So they don't think I need to do things differently. And, and doing things differently is, is with uncertainty and it's hard. So, um, so I guess. I'm not so I think let me let me put my argument in a different context. I would say probably for many of these large corporates, you have in the board members very, very intelligent people, very successful people that have demonstrated their success consistently over time. And probably many of these people are also the right visionary people, but there's nothing that can take vision out of people like money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a government that could tell you this story too. <laughs> yes. So, so but my point being here is that probably many of these people have, uh, you know, many have a technical background, some have a commercial background, some have made a startup, some have made huge success in the past. But if you constantly have a layer that says, uh, we have to satisfy our shareholders in the next quarter. That's why I'm saying there's nothing that can take the vision out of people like money. So, so it's about you know parking that discussion and saying, what happened if we missed a couple of quarters? What would happen? 
well, this could happen to the stock price. It means that if we had to issue new shares, we would get this and this less. Of course, that has consequences. I'm not saying, but if we take calculated risks in how we communicate, and we are really, really focused on our shareholder communications, how much time would that buy us? And whatever time you can buy for the board, if the board is on board, that is time that you're buying for the CEO and the great people within his or her organization to do something really great. But but uh, but the but the money part is something that we have to address so it doesn't puncture um, any effort that we're trying to make. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying, and and you know I never thought about it this way, but. Actually, these people, of course, they are talented. It's not like I'm not questioning the fact that the board members are talented, but the way they see the world is so different than someone who is like an entrepreneur or something. Like I, I heard a, a talk with the Elon Musk. We're mentioning him second time in this in this talk, and he said that he thinks that management and board are seeing too much of like PowerPoint presentations and graphs. And they don't go into the you know the the floor where everything is is really being done. They are not really you know within the factory. What's going on there? And and I guess that this is how it's structured. What you said about governance. So this is the tr- structure of things. This is their role in everything. But if you want to do things differently, I think especially right now because some even industries I would say. Don't cannot rely on what they know because what they know has changed. Things are not as it was, and and we we know that things will continue to change afterwards. So they cannot really rely on their knowledge, uh, which makes their their lives much harder. I, I don't envy any CEO right now in a big corporate. That's for sure. It's it seems really really tough. So what would be the best tip you can give uh, about a strategic or disruptive innovation? Of course, I think there are the two ways in which you can be very successful with a company of for strategic innovation. Either you can build, you can say, a capability bottom-up that you can train a lot of brilliant people that you have within your organization, make them work on opportunities and projects in the strategic areas that you want to focus on, and you know, hopefully get a success out of that. So that means you know, train, educate, and give to your brilliant people the tools that they need to work With strategic innovation say so that's one thing and the other thing is really what we talked about before the governance that you allow this kind this way of working that you want to work in sprints you want to work with uncertainty you have longer time horizons you need to have the governance set up for that so you need to have the right metrics you need to have the right reward systems for people working within this area you need to make sure that the tools that they use that's something that's fit for For that kind of world, not another kind of world, uh, working, let's say, with incremental, that's a different set of tools. So you need to really enable your people also from the, the top down in terms of setting the right governance structure for that. Now, that, of course, and the extra layer for this is what we discussed before, the board level and also the very top level, that they can tolerate that we are not talking shorter term for profit, especially if... For these types of opportunities it's fine that we're still running some incremental opportunities that are exactly focused on you know when can you turn a profit what is your time to market what is the cash flow that's completely natural because this is what you know keeps our daily business running 
but but to see and to open your mind to having a different governance setup, different metrics for the more strategic innovation, if you really want to focus long term. And that's something that you can do simultaneously, but you really need to you know, activate the entire brain uh, of yours. And you need to make sure that you calibrate also with your board and your board needs to calibrate with your shareholders to make sure you have the communication about why is it we are doing like we are. And we can probably expect, um, uh, you can say a share dump uh, in the next couple of, uh, Dump is not the right word. Uh, a, share dip, a share dip in the next uh, couple of quarters, maybe the next year. But that is because we're making investments in X, Y, Z. So I think communications on the top level and making sure you have the right governance structure, that is probably the best tip I could give to, to any CEO that wants to work uh, with this. Yeah, I think that what you're saying, like top down and bottom up, what I always saw is the bottom up part, because I come from, you know, from design, from implementing, from creating the change and then creating something and then having a profit. But what you're saying, the top down really makes sense because you cannot really do it if you're not incentivizing your people this way or even the CEO this way. So it will not work. So how could companies update their structure? toward innovation. So what exactly do they need to do? Mm -hmm. So I would say most for-profit companies, large conglomerates, they have good structures and systems for incremental innovation, for R&D in general. What they have to think about is ask themselves the questions. So rather than me answering, especially a one-size-fits-all model, Adi, because I'm not going to do that because that's not very uh, say prudent, then I would probably say in the same uh, say in, in this way, if we were to be successful with truly strategic innovation and, and focusing on the future, what do we need to do in terms of providing tools for our, uh, for our employees to making sure that there is career tracks within this domain, uh, to make sure that when they go into a portfolio meeting that they are met with the right question questions and fair questions about how far have you made it? What have you learned? What are the avenues you're in? Not, not the question, when are you going to make money on this? When are you going to make money on this? That, that, yeah. was, a, that was a little humor, but, but I think you get the point here. Yeah. So I think those are the things you have to do, particularly to enable uh, the people that you are, are working with. And then I would say also, well, stru structure um, in, the, in, the, in the top sense, the structure could technically remain the same, but it's the way that we look at that structure. So if a CEO says, there's no way I can do this within my company, the way it's structured today is, is it the way that it's formally structured or is it the way that you think people are thinking that we cannot do it because this and that? So typically, you know, many companies have some structure that would enable them to do it if they have open minds and they have good communication about what it is they're investing with in the future. So I would say updating structure would mostly happen on the, you could say, lower level, on the operational level, where people actually have to be entrepreneurs or corporate entrepreneurs. You really have to give them the playground to do that. And do you think that there is like, you, you talked about training and, and going from bottom up. Do you think that people who are in a corporate that get the, their salary, everything is like very calm. They're doing more or less the same thing for years. 
how do you turn them into uh, entrepreneurs in order to really change the way they the, the output they're they're giving the company mm -hmm. I would say this is probably also uh, uh, that's a very good question Ali. I think this is also uh, uh, an understanding of people it means that we have in our company we have many people and some of them will be good at doing Uh, daily business and, and uh, the operations uh, that we are used to do. And some people could be the right profiles for more corporate entrepreneurship working with strategic generation. So it's probably not for everyone, but then of course it's also up to uh, managers and HR to help identify the people that would like to work with this kind of entrepreneurial mindset that would be fit and be good for that. I can imagine in many companies, you probably have an idea who some of these people are already based on the meetings, the one who always comes up with some, some crazy ideas for, some, for something. Okay, that could be a person that works on the very front end of this kind of, of transformational innovation, so on and so forth. So I think it's probably not for everyone. So you also have to be realistic about what kinds of people do we have in our organization that want to work with this and also be open to, well, then it means probably we have to hire a little bit extra people from the outside that fits the criteria what we would like to see and that way of working that we think would be good for our company if we really want to focus on the future. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's all connected to people and the way they see. And sometimes you you know who are these people that want to do things different and they, they have uh, uh, some kind of, uh, we could do that, we can do that. And sometimes I think they're um, underestimated in some companies because they're in interfering because they have all these like thoughts that might not be exactly what other people think right now. And, and, and you could just utilize them in order to do things better. So um, I really think it's a good idea. That's one thing actually that, that uh, when we talked about structure of governance also that, that, that struck me is that oftentimes when you start a project in companies, you would, you would identify some people or a person that would be head of that and, and a team of people. And then you would be naturally expecting that those people would follow the project all the way through. So all the way from getting the first idea basing to scaling and commercializing, where you think, you know, if you look at startups, you know, many founders, they say once they have to scale and really turn things up that once they start the journey, that's okay. But once it turns into more operational, they don't want it anymore because it doesn't fit with the way they think. So I think another thing is to say, does a project or an opportunity always have to follow the same person? Can we switch teams, you know, for the benefit of that idea going further on? Because it also means if we have these people who are Um, you know, very creative, wants to work on multiple ideas at the same time, but maybe are not as strong on execution and scaling and operations as others. Why is it that that person has to follow everything all the way through? Is that something we can work with in our in our organizational company to to kind of talk into? Well, you can still have a success if someone takes over your baby project, and vice versa. You can take over a baby project from someone else and still be successful. The reason why we're doing this is because we really want to focus on our people and their capabilities, and we think this is the best way of doing it. So not the project, but the people who have to manage the projects. Yeah, yeah. I think that in general, if, if everyone in the company would know what are the strengths, what are his abilities, and really could utilize these, these strengths, capabilities, way of thinking, you will get much more from each people, not only from his title and the, the box that you place him in, and you, you can get more of people if you allow it, of course. 
So what's the most surprising thing you learned about innovation after all these years of experience? I would probably say that's also the reason for we have the talk that we had today was that you know, many companies are really good at managing innovation. I would say also some of the companies you know, I've been in, in touch with also becoming better and better at strategic innovation. One thing that really surprised me, I have to say, is the way that we talk governance and how companies are structured and how you know the for-profit ownership and stakeholder ownership really trickles down into the way you control and have meetings and want to measure on things in the organization that it's really really strong so you know you've seen something probably coming um, you know from the scientific management era where we have to optimize on our production and you know resources were finite we just have to squeeze as much as we can out of out of people and out of our machines into having a more modern way of looking at problems of you know sustainable development goals and you know recycling within many industries but where the system has not seemed to change a lot in order to enable it the system is very focused still on reminiscence of scientific management and others it's so damn um, well oiled and well orchestrated in the way that for-profit system is structured. I think that's something that we need to have a conversation about and we really need to, to discuss how can we work with that to our benefit if we want to be, you know, if we're really serious about a sustainable future, which I think probably in an industry, you can see there is profit in that. We just have to figure out how to do it. Yeah. It takes a little time. How can we make the system work for us, our own governance system, so it doesn't become a hindrance, but rather an enabler to meet those goals. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that in general, what we're seeing right now, things are changing not from governments or not from companies. It's, it's changing because people see things differently. They see maybe even sustainability. They see their position. They see their role. So everything is changing a bit. And then I think it could give you a, a push to a direction that is a bit different because when you know everything and it's very like, yeah, this is what we're doing in two years, this is what we're doing, and, and you're going to a certain path that you're sure about, um, there is no uh, lots of holes that you could change from or grow differently from because it's very structured. When things are a bit more fluent, I would say, you have more possibility to, think, to see things differently and change. And I really hope that other than all the bad things that has happened from from COVID, we'll see difference in that too. So how we're, we're almost done. It's been like in a flash, it, it passed so fast as, as always. So where could people hear from you and, and contact you if they have any question and want to work with you? I think probably the easiest uh, one point of contact would be to go into jimmynorman.com without any space. So just jimmynorman.com. There are my contact information also. You can also reach out through me through uh, through uh, through LinkedIn, and then I'll be very very happy to have a conversation with you about about this topic or anything related to innovation. Technically, yeah. Yeah. So I want to thank you again and wish you a, a happy holidays because we're almost in Christmas right now, and I wish we were going to have a much better year next year from what we had till now. Everybody is listening and, and Jimmy too. 
So thank you. And to all of you change makers out there, thank you for joining me. I'll be here next week. You're much invited to meet me in the next uh, episode or in invincibleinnovation.com. Have a great year. Bye-bye. I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.